0: Good morning. Uh, VBS, uh, it was great. Uh, VBS was tiring, um, but it was fun. It was so good to be um, hanging out and uh, playing games with 120 kids. Uh, and uh, yeah, just to see um, the gospel proclaimed and um, people responding, uh, kids. Uh, responding to the gospel responding to the teaching as we talked about what it means to make waves right if you uh, didn't see the waves up here the palm trees uh, that's what we're talking about that what you do today can change the world around you and we saw how these kids responded to that Uh, and today we're going to be looking at some scripture uh, in matthew 7 we are in the sermon on the mount if you will remember uh, we're Almost done. we got a couple weeks left in the Sermon on the Mount. But we are looking at Scripture where Jesus actually is encouraging us to be like children. Jesus encourages us um, to ask, seek, and knock. Right? That, uh, we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 12 this morning. So you can go ahead and turn there if you want. Uh, we'll get to that here in a little bit. Uh, but Jesus is inviting us to pray. Jesus is inviting us to run to the Father, to go to the Father with requests that we may have, with um, things that we want, because we have a Father who loves us. We have a Father who cares about us. And my guess is that most of us in this room are not very good at running to God with requests. My opinion is that I think most people in the church um, have a difficulty running to God to God like a child running to their father. Um, You know who doesn't have issues with asking questions? It's kids, right? Right, moms? Um, How many times a day do you hear, um, hey, can I have this? Can I have snack? I I work at uh, Alex and Rachel's house. Um, That's where I office out of, and I hear snack probably 30 times a day. (laughs) <laughs> it's not just from Alex. Uh, uh, but, uh, but your children, right, they run to you if they have a question. And what happens if they run into the room where they thought you were and you weren't there? They're going to go seek after you, and they are going to find you. And what happens if you happen to be in a room where maybe the door is closed and it's locked? I don't know, say the bathroom. Uh, if they know that you were behind that door, what are they doing? They're knocking, right? Because they need to get to mom. They need to get to dad. They have to ask this question because it is vital. It is urgent. It is important for these kids. And kids, I think most of the time, have a free reign, feel free and open to make requests to their parents to approach their parents and ask for things that they need. And so, in our time today, what we're going to be looking at is that Jesus is showing us that God is a good and perfect Father. And we are invited, and God is telling us, Hey, come to me. Come to me, because I am a Father who gives good gifts, and He wants us to ask Him for those gifts in prayer. So Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 and 8 ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. God invites us to pray to him. God welcomes us to go to him in prayer. This may seem obvious to you. Yes, duh, we are supposed to pray. We are supposed to go to God. We're supposed to um, pray for certain things. We're supposed to pray before we eat a meal, pray before we go to sleep. Um, But this fact that Jesus says that God the Father invites us to go to him in prayer, it really is a staggering thought. It really is. When you think that God is all-powerful, that God is all-knowing, that God is all-just, all-mighty, all-perfect, And that same God is saying, come to me. You are welcome to me. I know that you are not powerful. I know that you are not just. I know that you are not righteous. But he welcomes us to himself anyways. That is a crazy idea that you right now are welcomed before the creator of the universe. The creator God who is rich beyond compare. Who is rich in abundance is telling us to go ask him for things. That is wild. He invites us to ask for whatever we want. Whatever we want, he invites us to ask him for it. So there are three things that I think Jesus says uh, how he wants us to pray. The first one is he wants us to pray passionately. Jesus wants us to take him to take, God, our requests, our thoughts. Take what is on our heart. Take to God the things that are keeping us up at night and making us fearful. Take to God the things, the emotions that you don't think you should be taking to him. If you are angry, take that to God. Take our cares, take our thoughts, take our prayers to God passionately. What is on your mind? What do you desire? I think sometimes we believe that our prayers aren't good enough, that they're not big enough for us to bother God with them. And God is a father who is not bothered by our requests. I'm not saying any of you in here, but I have heard that parents will sometimes get kind of annoyed by their kids constantly asking questions. Not you, not you in here. God is not that type of parent. God does not get bothered by our requests, no matter how small or insignificant. God invites us as his children to go and ask him for things. Do not hold back from God and pray passionately. Does that mean that we are going to receive everything that we pray for? We'll get to that in a little bit. Second thing, pray progressively. Now, I just want to make it clear, I am not saying progressive in the postmodern liberal sense of progressive. I am saying pray progressively as an ask. That verb then builds on itself when we seek, and then that verb builds on itself when we knock. Right? Those are three progressing verbs that Jesus has used to describe how we are to pray. Right. If, if we are in the same room as our parents, if we are in the same room as God, if we feel as though we are close to him, that he is near to us, what do we do? We ask. And if we feel like he's not around and we don't know where God is in our situation, we can seek him. We can look for him. And if we feel like God is just closed off to us, we can knock on the door of heaven. We can cry out. We can scream to God and ask him to show up. That Jesus Realizes that every single one of these stages, some of us are in them. They're important. And in each one of those places and stages, we can go to God the same. And then the third one is pray persistently. Persistently. That this actual text in Greek, when we um, look at it, it actually translates more to a continuous asking, a continuous seeking and knocking. So keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, and it will be given to you, right? How often do we give up whenever we ask for something from God, and then we just leave it in his hands and we forget about it? How often do we give up on things that we, our, our, de- our desires, our hopes, um, prayers and, and struggles that we are going through, and we give up and we say, God never answered? Well, in reality, we stopped praying for them. And so, Jesus then gives this illustration to show the nature and the character of God. So in the next few verses, verse 9 through 11, we're going to see how is God a good Father to us. Verse 9, "...or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent?" If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? God gives good gifts. That is his nature. That is what he does. God is all good. There is no evil within God. So God does not give evil gifts. He gives good gifts. It is in his nature. He will not give his children Things that will harm them. So Jesus gives us two examples, right? And and they seem kind of silly. What father, if a child asks for a loaf of bread, is going to give him a stone? Well, we would all say no good father. No good father would do that. And what father, if his son asks for some fish to eat, would give him a snake, which is poisonous for the child to eat? No, no good father would do that. Right? It is obvious for us that this is not something that a good dad would do. And so God's, or Jesus says here, how much greater is your father in heaven? If you know that that is a bad thing to do, how much greater does your father know? It's hard for us to even imagine God as a perfect father. I think because we have seen the failures, we have seen the sinfulness in earthly fathers, Um, Jesus even says it here, doesn't he? He is speaking to his disciples. He is speaking to his closest friends, the ones he trusts the most in the world. And what does he say? Even you who are evil. He tells his disciples, you are evil. Jesus is saying this to compare us to God, but he's also saying it because in the nature of our core, we are born into sin. We are all wretched and broken and not how we are supposed to be. And the problem is that we cannot earn and we cannot overcome our sin nature. So, unlike any earthly dad we can imagine, God is perfect. What I want you to do is I want you to think about the best dad you can think of. Maybe that's your dad. I want you to think about the worst dad you can possibly think of. Maybe that's your dad. I don't know, but I want you to think about just the, the worst dad imaginable, right? Maybe he wasn't there. Maybe he was there and did horrible things. I don't know. Maybe you've heard stories. And then I want you to think about the best dad, um, like Danny Tanner from Full House, like, or, or Mike Brady with his whole bunch. I don't know. Um, but I don't know who the perfect dad is, but we can tell the difference between the worst dad and the best dad, can't we? We know that there's a huge gap. There's a huge difference. But when we compare these dads to our eternal heavenly father, they get a lot closer because the gap between the best dad and our God, our father, is eternal. It continues forever because God is without sin. So as much as we can tell the difference between a bad and a good earthly dad, our heavenly father is so much greater than the best we can come up with. Carl Winslow... He ain't got it. Y'all don't watch Family Matters. (laughs) He uh, fought for San Francisco. That's a hard deal. All right. We see that God is our perfect heavenly Father. And multiple times in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus reiterates and talks about God as this Father. This is different. This is, in this time, Jesus is trying to portray that our relationship with God is not simply that we obey him and we earn our righteousness as the Pharisees would do, but our relationship with our heavenly Father is that we are his children and we are welcome in his presence, and he is inviting us. He's saying, I know you were dirty, I know you were unclean, I know that you have no right to be here in front of me, but come to me welcome. Jesus is saying that God wants our desires. He wants our heart. He wants our heart more than he wants us to just be able to check off the box and say, we are obedient. I went to church. I did what I was supposed to do. God wants us. He wants a relationship with us. God has given us the gift of sonship. Will he not also give good gifts to his sons? Did God go out of his way to adopt you, daughter, to then say, I have adopted you, I have sent my son for you, but now I'm not going to give you gifts? Would he withhold from his children if he is the one who made us his children? No, he wouldn't. So these here are the promises of Jesus, that ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened Because you have a good Father who is in heaven and wants to give you good gifts. He will not give you anything that is bad. So if these are the promises, what's the problem? Why is it that I feel like the church neglects prayer? Why is it that I feel like us as maybe adults in here do not go to God in prayer like this. We don't go to God as a child. We don't run to him with our desires, with our worries, with our cares, with our hearts and our emotions. What's the problem? Well, I got three things that I think are problematic. The first one is distractions. I think we fill up our lives so much uh, with so much noise, with so many things on our calendar, so many meetings, so many tasks, our schedules are booked, that it's so difficult for us to focus on anything, but especially prayer, right? With all of our activities and fast pace and technology, I think silence is so uncommon, it's almost non-existent in our lives. If, I think for many of us, we would rather be in a busy airport, airport with things going on all around us where there is constantly things moving and, and you, can't keep your, you can't keep your focus, you're just moving constantly. I think we would rather be there than to be in a place where it is completely silent. We get uncomfortable when it's silent. We get uncomfortable when there's nothing to do. And I'm not talking about silence where you're sitting there and there's no noise but you have your phone and you're scrolling. I'm not talking about silence where you're sitting there and just relaxing and not doing anything. I'm talking about silence where you are sitting there thinking and you were praying and you were actually intentional with that silence. Silence can be deafening. And I think because of that, even if we take the time and we set aside a space for us to go to God in prayer, I think we still get distracted. I think it's still hard for us to focus because we are so distracted as a people group. Um, our busyness and our lack of um, the practice of solitude keeps us from ever going to God and asking and seeking and knocking. So what do we do? We f- need to find a place, we need to find a time, we need to find a space where we can pray to God, where we can focus on Him. I'm not talking about a quick prayer here and there. I'm not talking about just thinking about something and saying that it's prayer. I'm not talking about worrying about something and saying that that's prayer. I'm talking about intentional time of prayer where we are silent, we're speaking to God, but where we're also listening to God. The second problem is self-dependence. I don't know if this is you, but I think a lot of people say, I don't need God, I'll just figure it out on my own. And I'm not going to pray about this situation because I've got it under control. I think in our pride and in our culture, we don't necessarily ask people for help as much as we should, right? I remember growing up and like in movies and stuff, you'd always hear stories about people like asking their neighbors for an egg or for sugar or for milk or something like that. I've never experienced it. Like I don't, I don't think it really happens, um, and I don't think people actually ask people for things. I think they sit there, and they know that they need an egg for dinner, and what do they decide to do? They're just going to go vegan. They're not going to use the egg for dinner. They're going to make another meal, and then they're going to buy that egg at the store the next time they're there. They're going to run up to the Dollar General that's closed. <laughs> like People don't ask people for help, and we especially don't ask God for help. We think, I will work hard to make this happen. I will work hard to provide for my family. I will raise my kids myself. I got this under control. I go to the store when I need food. Why do I need to pray for my next meal? I know that it's going to come because I'm going to go to Fry's. Like, we don't depend on God as we should because we are self-dependent. We are independent people. But to truly pray as a child to our Father there has to be an element of helplessness. When do we run to God? We run to God when tragedy strikes. We run to God when there's a sickness, a crisis, a heartbreak, when there is something that we can't control and God is our last resort. We run to God when we feel helpless. But what I want us to realize is that in humility We are always helpless. Our next breath is not promised. What can you do to make your heart beat? Not a thing. We are helpless for every moment and every step of our lives. Our pride and our arrogance leads us to think that we have this life under control. It It leads us to think that we don't need God and i pray against that pride and against that arrogance in our lives that with every step of the way we would be like a child who needs their parents who needs our father who is good and wants to take care of us and then lastly we struggle to pray because we have doubts we wonder if prayer actually works I think all of us have been at a point where we say, I prayed for this to happen. I prayed for God to intervene. I asked and I asked. And guess what happened? Nothing. It didn't work. Prayer doesn't work, so I'm just going to stop doing it. I'm going to stop wasting my time. I'm going to stop setting aside time in my schedule to go in that quiet room and pray and ask God for things because he isn't going to give it to me anyways. Maybe you've been there. Well, Jesus' promise that asking it will be given to you, that's a conditional promise. There are strings attached to that promise. Obviously, not everything that we ask for do we get. Not every request is granted, right? I right, think about the Super Bowl. All right, you got two football teams. You got you got one team huddled up over here before the game. And they're praying for victory. You got one team over here huddled up and they're praying for victory. There's never been a tie. Right? One of those prayers is going to go unanswered, correct? Or imagine that if everything you did pray for came true. Imagine with me for a second. Imagine that every single request you ask God to step in and make this happen, it happened. What would that make you? That would make you God. That means that the actual God would be right below you, and he would be your servant trying to make everything that you ask for happen. He would just be doing whatever you want for your glory and for your happiness And I think if you were actually to pray whatever you wanted to pray and it came true, I think you would quickly realize that is not a good place to be. I think you would quickly realize that everything that you pray for is not necessarily good for you. That we can ask for things that are not good. God knows which gifts are good. He knows what is good. He knows what is not good for us. The father does not give to his children based on what the child thinks is best. You would all be broke if that were the case. As children, we often ask God for a stone. We often ask God for a snake. And God is too good of a father to give it to us. It is not in his nature to give his children bad gifts. So when we ask for something that is going to be harmful to us, God will not give it to us. It is against his nature. Tim Keller has a quote where he says, God will either give us what we ask for in prayer or give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything that he knows. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He knows what is best for us. He knows what is good for us. And so maybe... When we ask Him things, maybe He knows what is best to give us. Are there things that we shouldn't pray for? Probably. <laughs> but let's leave that up to Him to decide. I think we go to Him with our hearts, we go to Him with our cares and our desires, and then we let Him decide if we receive that thing or not. Because if we start deciding what is worth praying for or not, And we're going to stop going to God. But when we ask God and we go to God, the nature of prayer is a relationship, and so we will start to align ourselves with God's will. So when you ask for this thing that is not healthy for you, I think God will begin to speak to you and reveal that to you, and you will begin to align with the will of God. So over time, the things that you will be asking God are going to be good things. They're going to be things that God wants to give you. so as christians there are times when our theology so what i mean by that there are times where our understanding of the word of god where our understanding of who god is does not line up with our experiences so what i mean by that maybe you can read this and you can say that okay i see this says god is a perfect father he only gives good gifts I believe it. Okay, God is a good, Father, but it really seems like this thing on my plate is a stone. It really seems like this thing that I'm going through right now is a bad thing. There's no way that this can be a good thing that God has laid in front of me, and I've been praying against this thing. And I know, listen, I know that there are families in this church right now who are dealing with this. I know there are families in this room who feel like God has laid them a stone on their plate and they are praying against it they're praying for good things they're asking God to intervene and to change it maybe you prayed against the illness a sickness a death a diagnosis and it hasn't worked so what do you do what do you do when you read this and it says asking it will be given to you God only gives good gifts but you're sure that what is sitting in front of you at the dinner table is a stone or is a snake, what do you do? I believe that we trust the Word of God. We trust what the Bible says. This is where faith is so important that we know what Scripture says. This is where we have to believe what Scripture says, even though we can't see it in front of us, even though we can't see it in our circumstances, we can't see it with what is going on in our lives, that we are struggling, we are trying to just make it through each and every day. But we need to believe and trust and have faith that God only gives good gifts, and somehow God is going to turn what is in front of us in to bread because he is able and he is willing. Romans 8.28 says and we know that for those who love God all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose a child that is forced to drink cough syrup a child that is forced to get a vaccine will never tell you that that is a good thing Only God knows how much that event helped them in the future. Only God knows how much that cough syrup or that trial or that struggle strengthened them so that they were better off down the road. Parents know something that the child doesn't know, right? Parents realize that, hey, I know you don't want this. I know you are kicking and screaming and you don't want this medicine, but it's going to be better for you. This is a good thing that you take this medicine. This is a good thing that you go through this momentary trial. And God is that father. He is that parent who is telling you, hey, I know it feels like a stone, but I'm going to use it for good in your life. So I understand that this may be hard to hear. I understand that if you are currently struggling and going through a trial, if you currently are praying for something and asking God to show up and make it better, and you still feel like there's a stone in front of you, get it, I'm sorry. I know it's hard. I know your faith is probably being tested. But I I want you to take comfort in this. That the very man whose words we are reading, the very man who is preaching this to his disciples, Jesus was in your shoes. See that Jesus cried out to God and said, "God, I please take away the suffering, take away the pain that is before me in the cross, in the persecution, in in the beating, and the mocking, and the spitting that is going to happen to me. God, please take this cup from me in anguish and in exhaustion." God, or Jesus, cried out to God so much so that he was sweating blood. He was sweating blood. He was praying. Persistently. He was crying out to God to take this cup from him. There's no way that that could be bread. It's a stone. But God didn't take it away. And through the cross came the resurrection. And through the resurrection came the defeat of death. And through the resurrection came our power over sin, our freedom from sin, our salvation, our reconciliation to the Father through the cross, through Jesus enduring in his suffering and his trials, we were given eternal life and forgiveness of sins. God offers bread, not stones. So, verse 12. It's an extremely popular verse. It's the golden rule. So, whatever you would or you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Seems just like it's kind of tagged on at the end of this section of scripture. Um, But since God has so blessed us with the good gifts as our Father, we are to bless others that we are to give good gifts to others from the overflow of the riches of God's wealth. We are to extend that to other people. Uh, Jesus says here that it is the law and the prophets. Well, if we actually go back two chapters, sorry, go back two chapters to chapter five, Jesus is speaking in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. What does he say? He says, I have not come to abolish the law, but I have come to fulfill the law and the prophets. So if this is the law and the prophets, and Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets, that means that Jesus ultimately fulfilled this task. Jesus was the ultimate gift. He was the ultimate example of doing unto others, of sacrificing himself. That his sacrifice on the cross was the ultimate good gift from our Father. If you question whether God is a good dad or not, just look to the cross. Look to the resurrection. Look to the fact that we are given salvation and eternal life through this gift. So I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how you struggled, how you crawled spiritually into this place today. I don't care what type of hell you lived in in the past. If you ask... If you seek, if you knock, I can promise you that salvation will be given to you. Let's pray. Uh, In John chapter 1, it says that to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. if you have never received Christ as your Lord, if you've never called on his name and believed in the name of Jesus, I want to just give you that opportunity right now, invite you to ask him now to save you. Ask God in this moment for this gift of salvation that came through his son, Jesus. That he would welcome you as his child, and that in his perfect heavenly Father, in in his love, he would forgive your sins. And so, if you did that, just I, I would ask that you would just let us know. I would ask that you either mark that on your connect card. There's a little checkbox where you can say trusting in Jesus. You can come talk to me up here in the front after service, or in the back after service. We want to walk with you through that decision that is so important. So I know there are some in here who are hurting, who are struggling, who are trying to figure out how what is in front of them, how what they are going through is a good gift from God. How can this possibly be good? Well, I just want us to take a moment to to ask him to seek God's face, to as children run to him in prayer. And if we need to cry, then we cry. If we need to be angry, then we can be angry. If we need to just plead with God that we would do that in this time. And I ask that you would just go to him and let him hear your heart, let him hear your desires. He is worthy to handle it. He is mighty enough to deal with whatever we have. just pray at this time, God, that you would grant peace, that you would grant mercy. God, for those who are in here and are in pain and struggling and trying to make sense of how these things can be called good, God, I just ask that you give them strength. And God, for all of us, I just pray that you would create within us fervency for prayer. That you would create in us a heart as a child to run to our perfect father, to take our desires, to take our cares to our good dad. And as a church, you would help us to be people that persistently seek after you and ask you to intervene in our world. Jesus, you are so good. I thank you for the good gifts that you give us. It is in your name that we pray these things. Amen.